I am unashamed. What about you? All right. This is part two of Podcast Without Al. I wonder if that'll be the name of it. Push that through. Al did not think that we could do this, but we've already given some spiritual wisdom in our first podcast. And for this one, we're going to do a little Q&A. These are questions that our listeners are wondering, they're pondering about, and they felt strongly enough to sit down and actually type it out and send the question. So I'm going to start with question one. How do y'all prepare for duck season? How do we prepare for duck season? The day after it's over, we begin the preparation for the following season. (laughs) So... We we add. So it's a little late because now what are we? One week? No. How how? When does this thing start? It starts a, two two days from from Saturday. We we're out. We're about nine days out. Nine days out. Nine days out. And so things, if you're waiting to this moment, your point is, you you've missed it. You you. There are some uh, a certain sequence of events that must take place. Right after duck season, the day after duck season, we begin to say uh, we need to carry butane bottles that we left in the blind. We get out. We get an equipment. There's a cleanup. There's there's a a cleanup. We begin to move out. We're moving back to the high ground because it's just ended. We're going into February, and that's in the early spring when the backwaters start. We may already be experiencing while we're hunting. We see the backwater Mm -hmm. coming. We say, okay, we've got a big one coming, so we prepare for the flood that's coming. We've had five in a row where the river got about where we're duck hunting. The river went from dry ground to about 25 feet in a lot of areas. Just imagine a rise, ladies and gentlemen, where you're in floaters, floating duck blinds on logs. So one phase is prepare uh, for the backwater. You don't know how high it's going to get or how long it's going to stay. So you're preparing yourself, lengthening your ropes when you see it start coming up. you got to take care of duck blinds. Make sure they stay put and don't tear off down through the woods because you didn't tie them up properly. You did tie them up, but a beaver cut your rope, so you better be there two years later, um, two years, two days later to find out where the duck blind's headed. Yeah. So I've, I'm in charge of all the duck blinds. We've got about 50, some stationary, some floating. My job is to make sure the duck blinds are ready for the following year by being with them during the backwater when they come way up, making sure they go right back down and they're faced in the right direction and don't get up on a snag over there where you turn the thing over. Uh, there's cottonmouths that live on them. There's gators that get up on them. And we go through all that. So you basically, the, so you got the water regime, then you got, you got the, the food regime. So you got, So after the duck blinds, you've got a water regime, meaning you're, you're there and you're hunting ducks over water. That's that you either pumped in or it rained enough to get it up in November. Well, what if that doesn't happen? It doesn't rain enough. Well, we pump it up. Well, you don't want to pump it too much because you don't want to get it inundate most of your grass. Mm-hmm. The, the food regime is you make sure that you have things on that piece of property. We're talking hundreds of acres here, over a thousand, in fact, or more. So you got all that ground that you want to make sure you've got the proper food regime. You plant stuff that ducks like, or you manipulate the soil, and the Almighty will plant things that ducks like. So you choose between the two, making sure you got a food source, make sure the water regime, you got water to hunt on. Ducks like water. They don't fly around too much and can't kill them on dry ground. Well, I think, too, what we're, what we're doing this year, which is different, is we talked our neighbor into us buying a crop that he would plant, and we're going to flood it, but we're not going to hunt it. Of course, he's next to us. He's a farmer. His property and, line joins ours. Yeah. 
and he couldn't plant anyway because the backwater stayed up so much the the part that's right next to us he couldn't the water he, stayed there to July and August. So we talked him into planting for us, which is what a lot of people do now when it comes to duck hunting. They'll have a place, what they'll call their sanctuary. They got this, I guess, from the government because that's what they do, where they plant and let the ducks stay there. And then you in the woods or you have a break right next to it. Well, you and you don't disturb these eating ducks because it's easier to shoot a full happy duck than it is to one. You know, when you go into a ball open field, it's hard to get them in there. By the way, have we paid him for that endeavor yet? No, but we will. Yeah. He hasn't sent me a bill yet. Yeah. So So, we're, we're, but that was a good move. That's good with our neighbor. He's plants duck food, food that ducks like he's next to us. We don't fool with that. We just have them. They're gathering up. But we're looking for a little trickle of them come by. And we have more ducks in the area if your neighbor's land is also flooded up. So basically every year, you know, location. And if he hunts it, what we flooded up, if he duck hunts it, that would probably be a good day for us because we're over there across. (laughs) We'll we'll try to get him to only do that at the end of the split or at the end of the season. But, you know, it's his land. He can do whatever he wants to but what we're saying about locations, well, how, how come you got 50 blinds? You know, we only have one blind. If you only have one blind, it's going to be hard to hunt every day and be successful. But when you have different locations, you know, I, 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 I tell this story in my seminars about duck hunting. People, they'll call and they'll say, what duck call do you recommend for keeping ducks from lighting wide? And it's a it's a terrible question, yeah. Because if ducks are not lighting in your decoys, to be honest, they probably it's nothing personal. They would rather light in this other location. So forget buying another duck call. Move a blind over there, which is why we have fifty blinds because there's a place within a specific area where they tend to want to go. And we try to zero in on that and have a blind in every small section where they tend to want to go. Would you By agree the with way, that? Yep. By the way, if you if you don't learn but one thing here today, if you happen to be a duck hunter and you use a duck call, we highly recommend ours because it does sound like a duck if you know what you're doing and you know how to blow it. But you must develop one particular little call that helps to keep them from lighting wide is on their last pass when they come over you, when they're low enough to shoot, but you want to get them backpedaling in the decoys, You, it's a two-note duck call. I have my duck calls. Yeah. You go like... <laughs> that. You hit that a lick, Jace. That, that, oh, here we go. Yeah. I'll hit it for you. Well... You know, age of coronavirus. coronavirus, I don't want my lips where your lips have been. You you drag that note out a little bit. And if they turn quickly, you've done well and they're coming in. It is a life-saving. When they pass over, you could have shot them. You drag it out. So what? Two, three I notice we do that. So, like on the first pass, we sound excited. Yep. And we'll, like, you'll call and then I'll follow right behind you. <laughs> so, that's the way we're normally blowing. But when they get down to the last pass, what we notice is that, that is seems to be something that they cannot turn down. Yeah. Now, I don't know. We called a three-note call. It's a sweet little hand saying, come on now. But speaking duckanese, or whatever you want to call it, in the duck mallard hen world, whatever that note is seems to be where where the deal gets made. That That's it. So, And I, we're only basing that on experience. So for you duck hunters out there, I think that's interesting. We came up with, a way to do that. But in the regime, 
when we're talking about all these blinds and you've already brushed the blinds, when did you do that? They were all brushed. We did brush two yesterday uh, in what we call the Mize Hole because when the the hurricane came through here, it 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 scattered a lot of the brush yeah. we had on the blind. It took it in all directions. I say all directions. It took it in the direction it was downwind of it. <laughs> so it blew. Uh, but you got to remember, amateurs, Stone and the nurse practitioner brushed those. So that was suspect at best. I observed after the hurricane, and what was a brush duck blind was about a fourth brush duck blind. I said, we need to put a load of willows on that one and the one just up above there, Jace, the bench. So I brushed them both yesterday. I took Stone with me so he could, for his learning, and we had Dan the eunuch for heavy lifting. So I had two good hands there, but we got the duck blinds. And and what I'll do— We're eight, nine days from duck season. We normally are not brushing blinds. And what I'll do this starting this weekend is I'm the scout. Reconnaissance begins to take place. I will because you we got fifty locations. Well, how in the world would you know where to start opening day? Now, what most people do mistakenly is they wait before the day before duck season, and they go right out there and scare all the ducks off. Bad move. Bad move. So when I go scout, because once you scare them, there's no guarantee that they're going to come back. But people want to see them, and I would call that a yahoo rookie move to go jump up all your ducks the day before you go hunt. Be, be kind to your fellow duck brothers. Jace. Well, I was. I'm thinking that's the dumbest, most <laughs> stupid thing you could do, and I would be highly upset. So one of the things that, of course, uh, I guess men and women have to worry about, but it's, uh, for some reason men seem to worry about it more, is losing your hair or going bald, um, which I'm not sure all the – there's something linked back to your dad or your – you know, it's like a genetic. Basically, one of our longstanding um, sponsors, uh, Keeps.com, has a, a formula for you to be able to keep your hair so when you first start noticing that baldness, especially when you're younger – so instead of going to the doctor, going to the pharmacy, doing all these different things, you can go to their website. It's all online. Uh, you can get it shipped straight to your door, so you don't have to go anywhere. Keeps.com, K-E-E-P-S.com, slash door, and you're going to get 50% off your first order. So that's K-E-E-P-S slash door, 50% off, and keep your hair. Now, we get down to figures. Uh, Louisiana uh, Wildlife and Fisheries came out with a magazine here in the last few days, and I read it to show, Jace, why the numbers have gone down from the 70s. They've, they're slowly going down, down, down I guess. on the harvesting of ducks. The average duck hunter in Louisiana, last year we had two states that beat us out on average. California, of all places, was ranked number one. Number two was Arkansas, and number three was Louisiana. The average Louisiana duck hunter last year, we said we had a poor year until I started thinking about this, these things. And yeah. I saw the article, and they said because of a number of factors, the marsh in Louisiana has been shrinking since 1839. Now it's 2020, last couple of hundred years. We are losing ground, literally. The, the Louisiana coast, the marsh is receding and being replaced with brackish saltwater. What used to be dry ground, meaning marshy, wet, but, but basically land, silt, far greater food supply. Now it's receded to the point to where we're north of the marsh. We're 300 miles north. The problem is, or 250, 300, we don't see ducks coming over our head as much as we used to because they're not going to the marsh anymore because of the saltwater intrusion. And therefore, and also with the refuge system, which is what I was going to say, they can, the government is holding 
a lot of the ducks all the way down that is in correct. mass quantities. That is correct. So the erosion of the marsh, they the government now is holding would you and say most of the ducks? The, the in, weather in the, the, the weather patterns are such there's no doubt it's getting warmer. Global warming. Well, when or the ducks, you when call the it. temperature gets warmer, the snow and ice is not as pronounced in the northern tier of the United States. The ducks are stopping earlier, not moving as far south as they would on cold, cold winters. They're beginning to stay further north. Well, yeah. we're in the last state on the continent, and they're not reaching us. So the average duck hunter, Jason, Louisiana, so you'll know, kills, harvests 11 ducks a duck season. Yeah. Last year, the average duck hunter killed 11 ducks during a duck season. The good news is we hunt, and there's usually four to six people in the duck blind, four, five, or six a lot of times four, a lot of times five, a few times six, and very rarely seven. Well, if you add it up, we didn't kill but 650 ducks last year, yeah. which was a poor year. However, that was an average of five people. So you say, well, y'all killed average 100, over 100 apiece. We made up for some other people. Who but did. the difference is, Jace, Hold we up. hunted every day yeah. where the typical hunter that brought the 11 ducks in, hunts on the weekend a little bit, but doesn't hunt every day like we do. Let me let me ask another question. So, now, here, here's another question we get on. What do you do to get ready for duck season? When it comes to your beard, it's okay to summarize. I mean, I do it. I did it for years before we came up with a TV show. We we would sh- I would shave as a present to my You're wife. You're speaking of summarizing as getting ready for the summer months. Well, right. Yeah, they may so, think you were summarizing a set of numbers or something. Well, I figured it. I figured it out. Yeah, or summary. In Feb in February and March, I would usually shave once, and then. But once we get to where we're at now, well, there'll be no more trimming. No, I, I'll just go with it. So in, in case you want to, you know, when you're asking what do you do when it comes to your facial hair and your and your hair, you need to just let that go. Would you agree? You need uh, the hair. One, that's one of the. More hair helps keep you warm. And I think it's uh, it's kind of fun. And, and it sees the status of your relationship because the, the second part of the question was, now, I didn't say this. The question said, and how do you train your wife to deal with the hunting season? I don't know if I'd have said it quite like that because I think it's it's not really a training. It's just something that you should, in my case, I laid it out beforehand while we were dating. I just said, here's... You know, I'm going to love you. I love Jesus. I'm going to treat you with respect. And you didn't want this to become a deal breaker. All right. It's somewhere in there. I gave the impression that if you have a problem with me duck hunting for basically two and a half months every day, we need to end this now. I look at it, my view is more simple than yours. There are males and there are females. I just noticed that hair is coming out of males way more prevalent on their faces. Yeah. There's more hair on their faces than with women. women Most women. Women, they don't even stand for a little peach fuzz. They're they, they taking tweezers and pulling it out. They yeah. don't want any hair. But males, we have hair that grows out of our face, under our arms, and a few other areas. You say, what about that hair? Being a man who believes in the Bible and God created us from the dust of the earth, he made males where hair is more prevalent coming off, especially their faces. Well, when you're in the outdoors, it's it's quite the asset. Quite the asset, and I I thank God that he gave it to us because someone says, do you wear a mask? Jace, this is my mask. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, The microbes catch on the follicles, the hair, but they're not they're not on my in my skin or up my nose yet. Mm-hmm. I'm hanging them. I'm hanging them in the hair. You sure. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Now all these guys, these little millennial punks, 
They need to let their whiskers go. They will have a mask when someone asks, you're not wearing a mask. He said, oh, I beg to differ. Yeah. I, I have a mask, and it's better than yours because, look, Jay, I'm, I, your, your, your nostrils right now have, have a this. Right. And it would stop a lot of things you wouldn't want going up in your nasal passages, including the coronavirus. Yeah. However, you got it, and I didn't, so I'm just saying – more hair, yeah. Jace. More hair. More hair. More hair. Shouldn't yeah. have done that trim. That's right. That trim got you, buddy. It, it got me. Mm, that's sad. Let's take a break. <laughs> <laughs> so one of our uh, sponsors on the podcast, Scoremaster, uh, was interesting because we've talked about them before, and, and so when they sent me this copy, it said it almost crashed their website. Uh, when so many people found out that uh, the average person can gain 97 points to their credit score uh, just by going and checking out what these guys have done. They've discovered an algorithm that super boosts credit scores, which is really good. So if you refine this in your home, buying a car, applying for credit, say your credit is okay, you go to ScoreMaster, and on average, these guys have had 61 points increase in less than 20 days. So it can help you a lot. Basically, if you raise it 61 points, you save nine grand on a car loan. So it's important, especially for you young ones out there that are kind of just starting out and maybe your credit's not where it needs to be. Uh, so anyway, uh, here's how you find out about these guys. You go to scoremaster.com slash fill. That's scoremaster.com slash fill. Just takes you a few minutes to enroll, uh, add your credit score, and save you some money. So uh, there's really no training. I think once you get to duck season as a married man, that should have already, the conversation should have already happened. It's just like trying to go out there and look at your hole the day before and and scaring all the ducks off. If you wait as a, as a man who's dating, if you're going to wait until – a week before duck season to sit down with your wife, you know, in your first year of marriage, it's way too late. You, you, you've, that ship has sailed. Your own mother, Jace, the, the, uh, has used the, the, uh, wordage. She says, when does the ordeal begin? She calls duck season. Well, my wife calls it that. The no. ordeal. So they pass that on. Yeah. Now so, it's ingrained in their psyche. Don't mess with duck season. Yeah. Don't mess with that. But I had to convince her that I was not going to do anything immoral or illegal, that this was under the category of good, clean fun. And then, like you, I managed a way to make my living from hunting so duck hunting it was pretty blessed okay. our family more right. than i can ever say any way you want to slice it jace so when i'm getting up for years you know i've been married 30 years to when i get up say i gotta go to work I, i'm i I, fi- I figured out a way to do that where i was actually hunting stick to your guns and sometimes at least oh it pays rich dividends yeah it did. It did. So that's good. All right. Question two. This is from Stacy. Listens to the podcast on Spotify. All right. Female. Now, yep. And she says, now that I'm a wife and mother of two, I really want to make sure that my family is centered around God. I guess my question is, what is your best advice for a young family? That is rather new to Christianity to keep God at our center. New to Christianity, so, Stacy. And I think before you answer, it's, you know, a lot of people, and I think this was the Lord's idea, you know, they may sow their wild oats or however you want to put it, but most people when they get married and they, they have their first kid, all of a sudden they start thinking, I don't want my kid to grow up and do some of the dumb things I did, or they just feel this sense of responsibility 
to all of a sudden get God's qualities in their kids' lives because who doesn't want the best for their kids? So I think that's kind of the question, which is is a great question. So what would you say? Stacy? you are a good girl for asking. Uh, get your Bible out and read 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse about 23 to give you some context. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. It's a good lesson to learn, Stacy. Know that. When people try to insult you, don't retaliate. When he suffered, and when you suffer, Stacy, it happens, he made no threats. So no threats, no retaliation, Stacy. You said, how does a person live their life uh, in the, new to Christianity to keep God at our center? I'm giving you the text. It is written. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. Your sins have been removed, Stacy. So therefore, try your best to live a godly life. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And one of the things you mentioned, to keep God at the center. Well, by his wounds you've been healed. This has given you motivation. For you were like sheep going astray when we all were lost. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, to be specific, you're in Jesus. You've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Listen carefully to what he had the Spirit write down. Wives, you said you have children, so I'm thinking you're married. In the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, I hope your husband does, but if he doesn't, do like this. They may be won over without talk by the behavior of their wives. Stacy, your behavior can carry you into a great lifestyle. When they see the purity and reverence of your life, live that way, Stacy. Your beauty, honey, should not come from outward adornment. I understand Maybelline and how y'all all use it, you know, picking the tweezers, you got the little watching your eyebrows, and I understand. But you don't want to get carried away with braided hair, wearing of gold, gold jewelry, fine clothes. It does not make you a godly woman, Stacy. Instead, listen carefully. It should be that, Stacy, of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Check this out, Stacy, which is of great worth in God's sight. Uh, uh, now watch. For this is the way the holy women of the past, learned from the past, Stacy, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. And he brings up, Stacy, the mother of your faith. You say, I've always heard the father of my faith, Abraham. Well, Abraham had a woman he was married to, and she's your model. They were submissive to their own husbands, the, woman, the women of faith, like Sarah. Here's the mother of your faith who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. We've kind of lost that in America, and a lot of people say, what in the world are you talking about? I'm just quoting what the Apostle Peter said by the power of the Spirit. You're her daughter, Stacy, if you do what is right, girl, and do not give way to fear. Be known for a gentle and quiet spirit, yeah. which is of great worth. It will really save you a lot of troublesome times that you would have otherwise, that you'll otherwise go through. Yeah. So that's the answer to your question, little girl. Thanks for writing that. Well, my take on it is... You know, number one, you read that from First Peter, but I remember Bill Smith used to say this. He'd say the number one thing you can do for your kids as a wife or a husband is love your husband or, or, or wife. I mean, I, t- I spoke on behalf of Stacy, but the husband's. Peter well, addresses right. them also, but I was just but, giving her the information. Well, I would say that. So I think that's a, a as dynamic of a relationship that you have with each other that trickles down to your kids from the energy and the vibe. Oh, Th- these people that try to make it work from you know we're and and we realize you know what's what's the percentage now fifty percent sixty percent of marriage 
end up in divorce. Sixty. And so they try to make it work for the kids, and I get it. You know, I would do the same thing. But if you have a stable in environment, husband and wife, that's going to be a great asset for them. Look to their, your kids to have the ability to have these godly truths, because once they get mad or bitter, it's it's hard to reach them. The second thing I'd recommend is because a lot of people, when they give advice, they say, "Well, go to church and read your Bible." Well, I know a lot of families that go to church and read the Bible and are a million miles. It, it's, it's chaos and insanity in the, in the, in the home. Yep. So what I would say is you focus on Jesus in your home. And one of the ways you do that is you share Jesus, you know, with your neighbors, you have Bible studies that, that reveal Jesus. That was one of the most helpful things when y'all were young in the faith. For me, as I was seeing y'all be hospitable, even though y'all didn't have a lot of money, you would have suppers and invite the neighbors and friends, and you would feed them fish with what you had, and then you would share Jesus. But when you see that going on, that was very impressionable to me, that this is not yep. something we do on Sunday morning. We're we're living for Jesus yep. every day. So you can sum that up by saying you, you act the same way publicly and privately. Uh, and so that takes care of the go to the church and focusing on Jesus. So, you know, we used to do little nightly devos and I would usually, when my kids were little, I would usually try to focus on Jesus because to me, you know, the whole Bible is important and I like for them to know the stories, but if they get to the, the end of the row, which is about when they're a teenager and yep. they miss Jesus. Well, they missed it. I'm telling you. So that would be my advice is I'm all for having a church family to go to and get plugged into. Cause there's a lot of activities that they can, they can do, but I think it's more important to see for kids to see parents that love Jesus six six days a week before we get to yeah. Sunday. The second and third and fourth place you go, Stacy. I gave you first Peter three, one through seventeen. Now read first John two, verse six, which simply says, Walk as Jesus did, girl. Hebrews five fourteen, uh speaking of know the difference between good and evil, you you digest the scriptures, embrace good, shun evil and last, Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. So you put those verses together with First Peter, and uh, you got it. Okay. All right, let's take a break. So one of the things that's happened, of course, because of the uh, pandemic is it's driven a lot more people to the Internet because that's how everybody's doing business. Now you got Zoom, you got this, you got that. Of course, whenever you have a lot of increase in an area, guess who's going to show up? Thieves. And that's what's happened uh, because of the, all the Internet. Uh, Cybercrime is up about 75%. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they're doing is stealing the title to your home, which is just insidious. It's, it's somewhere in a digital vault. They break in. They get it. They borrow money against it and then leave you with the, you know, your house is foreclosed on. And you don't even know you don't have your house. I mean, it's really a terrible thing that's been happening, but it's happened to a lot of people. So uh, hometitlelot.com, that's how you're going to find out. First of all, you got to make sure your house is still yours, so they'll they'll make sure that you're good to go, and then they're going to put a barrier up and protect that for you. So it's hometitlelock.com, register your address, then use the code RADIO, RADIO, and you get 30 free days of protection. So that's hometitlelock.com, code RADIO. Check it out. Next question. All right. We get this question a lot. What would you say to a believer who has sinned, repented, but still struggles with that sin? And this person, uh, this is Terry. I think it's a female. I don't think Terry, T-E-R-I. That's how females spell, spell Terry. So I was raised in a legalistic home, so grace is not something that is easily accepted. 
Uh, thank you for what your family does to further the kingdom. Let me just define that before we answer the question. You know, a lot of people say, what does legalistic mean? There, there's a lot of religions and churches that, for whatever reason, they believe that they can legally be good enough to to make it to heaven. And they call that legalistic. So it, it's if you're basing your salvation on a rule keeping system and you tend to lean toward follow the rules and you can make it to heaven people view that as legalistic instead of more of a grace centered which is god's grace is what saves you a hundred percent and we respond to that with making better decisions which would be legal ways it's impossible to earn it well right so i'm just explaining her question but the question she says okay so she sins, then she puts repented, which repent means to make a decision to change, and then the fruits then prove that decision. That's the true definition, and I'll read that in Acts. But then it says, then they start struggling with the same sin again. So what do you do about that? Or what's your take on that while I'm looking that verse up? Well, make sure you implement First John chapter 1 about six and following, about Jesus being there 24-7 to mediate for you as you struggle with your sins. But let me just read you a little text here. After your baptism, now I'm in Romans 6, 1 through 4. After your baptism, you told God through faith that you would you were done with sin. You're dying to it. If we've been united with him in his death, will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know our old self was crucified. So you were correct in saying you repented, your sins were forgiven, but now you're still struggling with the sin. Remember this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives is where you're struggling. He lives to God in the same way. Now, listen, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Your position is in Jesus. Therefore, here's your, uh, the answer to your question. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. There's a difference between struggling and you make mistakes, and sin reigning like it did before you were baptized through your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of let, Jesus. Let me interject this before you finish reading. That verse was in Acts twenty six twenty, which goes in with what you're saying. Paul said that he preached, which he was sharing his conversion here, and he had just said what Jesus said about sending Saul, who had become Paul, he said to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan of God so that they may receive forgiveness and a place among those who are sanctified. So then he said this in verse 20, I preached that they should repent, turn to God. So you hear Jesus, you're baptized, you turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Correct. Which is the definition of so you bury the old self, and then you prove it by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, go ahead. So you go, and you say, well, my problem is I return to the same sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desire. Do not offer the part of your body, uh, the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Listen to this. As those who have been brought from death to life, it's the biggest event that ever happened to you when you were saved initially, kid. Offer the parts of your bodies to him as instruments of righteousness. Yeah. For sin shall not be your master. That's the way you were before you got in Jesus. But now, because of your faith, you're not under law where I have to do everything perfectly or he'll weed me out. Which would be legalism. You're under grace. Yeah. And so that's Romans 6. Well, look, the reason he read Romans 6 
is because the first question of Romans 6, his answer was based on a question. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Which was her question. Yeah. Because she's saying, well, I sinned, I repented. But I'm still struggling with the sin I, I repented of. And look, there's a lot of religions that are contributing to this mindset. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you do the effort to repent. I mean, just because you're repenting, if you don't have God's forgiveness or grace, it, it's that's what's providing the cleansing. So when you make the decision, and he knows your heart, which is, it's a hard thing to put point one, point two, point three. But you just got to step back and, and say, wait a minute here. God knows my heart. Now, he knows if you're having this line of thinking, Romans 6, 1, if you're saying, you know what? I'll go out there and have an affair because I know that God will forgive me later. Yeah. Well, well, if that's your mindset, who are you trying to kid, God? So that that's why I think you got to, when people come up with these types of questions, and I'm not saying it's a bad question, I'm just saying God knows your heart. I don't. We're going to tell you to focus on God's grace. Do not offer your bodies as instruments. There should be some changes there should be a drastic difference. You're proving your repentance by your deed. However, having said all that, you could still in your heart say, oh, yeah, I prayed and I confessed. And and in your mind say, yeah, but I'm going to go have another affair and then I'll repent later. That could be your total mindset. And we not you could hide that from us and we'd never know it. This is a great place to go. <laughs> Turn back now, uh, Terry, to Romans chapter 4. When a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man or woman, in this your case, Terry, if you're a woman, you may be a man, I don't know. However, to the man, to the person who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man or woman to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Remember this, Terry. Blessed are they, that'd be you, girl or boy, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Let's see. He took his sins away. They're forgiven. They're covered. Blessed is the man or woman whose sin, and here's where you are in Jesus, the Lord will never count against them. So knowing that, try your best not to sin. But if you do, read 1 John chapter 1, about 6 and follow it. Your tenor of life, your walk with God, you say, yeah. I'm going to make some mistakes, but I'm never going to reach where I never make uh, commit one act of wrong. You just I, had to I remember think that's the key phrase, Phil. We're all going to make mistakes, but God's not. He knows your heart. And sometimes I've said to myself, you know, I've done the same thing over and over, and thought, well, why do I, why do I keep doing that? And you know, you have these conversations with God, just you and God, even in your mind. They may not be vocal or verbal, but and you you, those are the things you say. You know, my heart. I'm I'm an idiot. You know, please forgive me. Train yourself yeah. to know the difference between good and evil. Embrace good, shun evil. It's right. a lifelong struggle. Yep. All right, we're going to do one more question. Now, this one, no name given, which is fine, and I understand why after reading the question. And you probably thought we weren't going to answer that, but we will. My question is regarding homosexuality. How do we deal, stand, against it when we have family members who participate in it. And he goes through this. It's kind of long. I don't. I want to be fair to it, but I'll give you just the, the minor details. He has an older brother who's gay, and I've known his partner all my life. I've always referred to them as my brothers. Of course, I love them both. I feel like it puts me in a weird position. They know I'm a Christian. I have been my entire life. Uh, let's see. Oh, I've even invited them to church and to our baby dedication. With our age gap, we aren't exactly close, but he's still my big brother. And now that I have children, I'm wondering how I will explain all this to her, I guess his daughter. And then he kind of goes into what he's 
figured out in his mind. So I'm, I'm going to read what he says. We believe it's wrong. Uh, your uncle's living in a way that's against what God says is appropriate. I know we all sin, but I guess the difference is that we repent. I don't, I don't know. Uh, then he says, then don't keep doing it or, or believe it's okay. I can tell he's confused. So he's like, so how do I handle that? What do I tell my daughter? What do I tell anyone else who challenges me on it? Yeah. Big uh, topic for five just minutes. All you do is, is you say it is written. You can show him this in love. Let your brother know you love him and his partner. It is written. Uh, Genesis chapter 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is written. Read the story. You recommend they do this. It is written. Romans 1, 1 through 18, then it through 27, all the way to 32. Romans chapter 1. Read it. It is written. And I think a lot of people feel, though, they immediately think, well, if you read that, you know, that's going to cause problems. But you notice Phil said, the first thing you said was you love him. That's right. You know, what we do is we introduce Jesus to people. That's where these words came from. We and, love you. Here's what God said about yeah. your question. And when you look at John 8, I use John 8 as a model because here was a woman caught in adultery. You said, well, that has nothing to do with homosexuality. Well, she's caught in sin. Interesting and, word. He said, he said where, are your, where are your accusers? Accusers. Yeah. And, and he said, I don't condemn you. Yeah. Well, leave the condemnation part to God. What we do, the biggest problem I see in our culture is we don't distinguish between people living, making decisions on who they have sex with. Because a lot of people, you know, they act for argument's sake like that's not going on. But we make decisions on who we have sex with. Now, when we read the Bible, God pretty much says, as far as right and wrong, anything other than a husband and a wife, male and a female, and you read Matthew 19 and, and, and see that. So my point is, here's a woman caught in adultery. It didn't matter what, as far as what God's word said, what kind of sin was going on here. They were, here was religious people picking up rocks, going to kill her, and, and actually had a, had a case to be made under the old law at that time. Yep. which we don't. And so my point is we introduce Jesus to people because that's his call. And he said, I'm not going to condemn you. He, he treated her with love and that's what the cross is all about. And, you know, that's the way people can change their minds, hearts and choices that are made. The biggest difference in our culture that I see is that people who, who claim to be in Christ with that kind of mindset. And that's addressed in, where's that? 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5. Yep. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5. But then he made a profound... 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Well, I was, I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 5 when he said, I have written you in my letters not to associate with sexually immoral people, which is the category of yep. anything other than a husband and a wife, which I referred to in Matthew 19. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. And that, that's my point. It's, I have lots of friends who consider themselves gay or whatever phrase you want. I have, I have friends. Well, you know, I would say, a, I don't want to give a number, but several people who worked on our show, yep. they had that kind of lifestyle. You say, what do you do? You love them. You're friendly. They're they're in the world. You know, we present Jesus where we can. We have conversations about Jesus, not not their lifestyle. We're not the police because we're all flawed ourselves. We need the grace of God just like everybody yep. else. And I think that's where it gets all cloudy. Now, if somebody's preaching at the church we're, we're meeting at, and all of a sudden he comes out and he says that he thinks that that's you know, a godly lifestyle, we would have a different conversation in a room with people who love him. And to me, once you surrender to Jesus, it is different. If you're claiming to represent Jesus, well, there's a standard of, of choices that we make, and we have the Bible, and we can have discussions, and, th and that's the difference. So, I, so my answer would be, 
I think you're you're doing a fa- fantastic job. You can you love you present ways to share Jesus. Now, when you said I invited him to go to church, I don't think that that's necessarily the best idea. Just because people tend to stereotype, you know, going to church with with a system of judgment and. I would share Jesus. I would have a conversation about Jesus. I would recommend reading the book of John to them, see them what Jesus is like, and then you let them deal with it on their own. One of the good brothers uh, I studied with, uh, he was telling me about his conversion, and uh, he, you know, he he said I claimed to be a woman for a couple of years. You know, when I was in my twenties, you know, I said, "Did you know that that you were born a male and?" And, and you couldn't have been a woman? He said, well, of course. I said, well, why would you act like you were a woman for two years? He showed me a picture of himself as a woman. I mean, he had the breast, the whole whole, whole gamut. Yeah. And he said, I just kept listening to that, those lies the evil one was telling me. And he said, it was all a ploy. I said, so you knew that your behavior was not right? He said, of course I did. Yeah. He said, I read the verse. I read Bible verses. I could see it. He said, but I was at a point to where I just bowed up and said, nobody's going to tell me I'm going to live my life. He said, when I finally said, Lord, help me out of this, and he turned, now he's responsible for bringing Mm -hmm. many people who are that particular lifestyle, homosexual behavior, and brought them to the Lord. Well, and we we have to, and we have those stories. And and without I would encourage the brothers who are, in fact, uh, participate in that particular behavior to reach out the ones who have gotten out of it to reach out to them. Yeah, don't condemn them. Let let that's that's God's job. The ones ours. I the ones who were in that sin that I've studied with, and look, I didn't make a big deal of 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 that being different than anything else that, that it's we, just we do. And they but they would they would bring up the idea about being born that way, which. Is kind of what you're going into, which is a, in our minds, a justification of decisions that they're making later on in life. But what I've noticed is you share Jesus, you withhold judgment, you treat them with love, and then when that comes up, that argument, I said, well, in John 3, when he's having this, this conversation with a religious fella, he says, you can be born again. And I just remember one of the guys I studied with who was in that lifestyle. It was like a light bulb went off. So it doesn't matter if you believe you were born that way or not. You understand who Jesus is. You trust him. You see what he says. But fortunately for all of us, we can be born again. That's a good point. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.